First part of session 79. Let's talk here about experience before the veil. Let's begin. This session continues the conversation that has been developing in book four, actually, about the conditions before the veil that brought into question the archetypical mind and the gradual study of it or interrogation on the, uh, the structure of the archetypical mind. So we have a, another long session but uh, 79, question, uh, session 79 is, is filled with very short answers. Um, I guess that's what makes it very long, but we have short answers and not much to, uh, to read, to be honest. But still, it's a long session, so I will probably cover it in three parts as, as it seems. So, um, no prior introduction to, uh, to, this, to this first part, other than what I said already, that it is a continuation of the conversation about um, the conditions before the veil. And so we're gonna get into more of that and some magical working and other things. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll begin with that. In any case, um, I guess it's a good time to remind you that there are timestamps here on YouTube so you can navigate the questions as you will. Um, not on Spotify or iTunes. Sorry, podcast listeners, I can't do that there. But that's, that's all I got to begin with. So let's start with the first question that I have, which is the usual one. Don, what's happening with my slides? Okay, there it is. Don says, could you first please give me the condition of the instrument? And Ra says, it is as previously stated, which leads to Don asking, the instrument would like to ask, is there any danger in receiving too much transferred energy with the instrument in her present condition? Ra says, no, uh, this will lead to Another question, which is about the sexual transfer, sexual energy transfer. That is what Carla was talking about. If there was a risk of having too much uh, energy transferred. So can you overcharge yourself with energy? Not really. <laughs> um, if you want a, a parallel to this, so you can understand what this energy transfer is you're not plugging yourself to some metaphysical entity or something like that you have examples of this in your life when you are surrounded by people or you don't have to be surrounded by people but usually you're surrounded with by people that you know you feel comfortable and uh, safe and happy and all of this this is an energy transfer because they are contributing to your own energy there is actually just one energy, to be honest, uh, but we feel this more when we are surrounded by other people. This is the reason why 
Some people go to these um, ceremonies or gatherings or events where people are just really in tune with uh, the moment. I mean, they, all their worries are, uh, are non-existent at that moment, right? So it's almost like there is a collective enlightenment, if you will. And so everybody gets so uh, full of energy and it's like they have a, a religious experience, a mystical experience. There is an environment there. This doesn't even have to be spiritual. Uh, music festivals, if you have ever been to any of these music festivals, you would feel that there is an energy there that you are just, everybody's happy. Uh, I remember going back in 2015 to the last electronic dance music on EDM festival called Tomorrow World, and I was shocked. I mean, this is 2015. Gabe was that scientific-oriented, uh, only intellectual <laughs> understandings kind of guy. So, and even I felt, you know, this incredible energy of people being happy. Um, it was just amazing I mean how, 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 do, how can this be explained you know without metaphysics that's energy uh, but you see the downside of this not the downside but well actually quite literally the downside of this is that when you go home then you feel empty you feel like something's missing and the only thing that's missing is you <laughs> so um I love how everything gets, of course, interconnected here. Um, because, yeah, what you felt was yourself without uh, the thoughts and the mental rambling of people are judging me or people are feeling comfortable because I'm here or whatever it is the case. You are relieved from that. So it's not actually the people that are giving you this and that you need the people to feel like this. This would imply that you yourself are independent from other people. And so you need them. They complement you. That is ultimately not true. But they are reflections and they help you. Uh, that's all there are. It's almost like saying, for me to be myself, I need a mirror. You don't need a mirror to be yourself. But without me getting too off rail here, that's that was my point. Um, just remember that. However much you can feel this energy in the presence of others, you are the source of it, not them. So, no, there is no danger into getting too much of this energy transfer. Let's go to the next question. Question three, Don says, she would also like to ask if the very large energy transfer of last session was a sexual transfer in total. Ra says, this is correct. Again, there is there is a lot of this, um, uh, of these short answers. So it's gonna make them kind of abbreviated, <laughs> abbreviated answers. Uh, so yeah, the, this, the, the transfer was uh, totally sexual from, from Jim. So Don says in question four, in that case, she would like to know the function of the energy transfer during the session. And Ross says, 
The function of this energy transfer is a most helpful one in that it serves to strengthen the shuttle through which the in-streaming contact is received. The contact itself will monitor the condition of the instrument and cease communication when the distortions of the instrument begin to fluctuate towards the distortion of weakness or pain. However, while the contact is ongoing, the strength of the channel through which this constant contact flows may be aided by the energy transfer of which you spoke. So, totally uh, metaphysical answer here. So, first they explain why the energy transfer is helpful because it strengthens that channel of communication, which I will dare to um, speculate how this works. And this has to do with, let's say, clear signal, right? It requires a, a sort of clear antenna or a receiver. You see, channeling, if I can explain it briefly in my own point of view, people... I'm going to try to normalize what channeling is. Let me just state that everybody is channeling, okay? Just like any receiver or radio is channeling, right? Um, the frequencies of what we channel change depending on what our interests are. So basically our minds are receivers of this, this multiplicity of frequencies that exist in the universe. And so when you have an interest, then you channel that interest and you become that. You see, everybody has a stronger uh, attraction to different sort of energies. And again, bear in mind that this is a very simplistic way of describing it. You know. There are limited um, radio stations that you can tune into, right? But the universe has potentially infinite and you are channeling yourself always. That's why I, I keep saying, yes, it's amazing that there are other entities, other uh, already, um, there are already known things in the universe that you can channel. But the most powerful thing you can channel is the unknown, and you are that. I hope that makes sense. Let me repeat that. Imagine you are this radio, right? That you are able to channel any frequency. However, as a radio, you have your own frequency that you can channel, and that is you. So that's what I mean by channel yourself. It is much more enriching for the whole universe to create a new radio station, which is you, as opposed to keep retransmitting, which is, it's a noble act again. Uh, and this is just in general, the, uh, the way we channel, okay? So I can go on with this and I would love to talk about this in a, a standalone episode, but there's time for that. Um, however, what I want to, make you visualize here is that when you channel other entities, and again, these entities are simply um, already coagulated, coagulated uh, thoughts, 
You see, Iraq can only talk about what they already know. They cannot talk about what we don't know or nobody knows, obviously, right? So it's already a form. It has been formed, so you can channel that. To channel that, you need to have an antenna that is sort of purified, right? And so the sexual energy transfer or any energy transfer for Carla was helpful because she was only dedicated to be in that antenna. And that's what Ra, in essence, said here. To my understanding, the contact itself, they say, it will monitor the condition of the instrument and cease communication when the distortions of the instrument begin to fluctuate towards the distortions of weakness or pain. That's simply um, the nature of the information that is being channeled by Carla, which is Ra, will finish uh, communications when this when the instrument becomes weak basically so uh, in more human terms they will monitor her energy to see um, how how much they can continue to talk and we know this already because Ra always says uh, this is the time for the last question and so on and finally so they say well this contact while the contact is ongoing, the strength of the channel through which this contact flows may be aided by the energy transfer of which you spoke. So, yeah, I guess the strength of the channel um, is dependent on the energy transfer as well. So, that's that. Next question. Question five, Don says, we have been ending our banishing ritual prior to the session here by a gesture that relieves us of the magical personality. I was just wondering if we should omit that gesture, omit, O-M-I-T, that gesture, so as to maintain the magical personality while performing the circle of one, and then only relinquish the magical personality, either after that has formed or after the session, which which would be more appropriate. Ra explains, the practice of magical workings demands the most rigorous honesty. If your estimate of your ability is to is that you can sustain the magical personality throughout this working, it is well. As long as you have some doubt, it is inadvisable. In any case, it is appropriate for this instrument to return its magical personality rather than carry this persona into the trance state, for it does not have the requisite magical skill to function in this circumstance and would be far more vulnerable than if the waking personality is offered as a channel. This working is indeed magical in nature in the basic sense, however it is inappropriate to move more quickly than one's feet may walk. So learn how to crawl before you start walking sort of thing <laughs> um, okay so i will recap this conversation um so ra had been saying some of the magical personality which is to sort of embody the the higher self i think is what they say i'm not entirely sure on that but the magical personality is uh, uh it's white magic, I'm sure, uh, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if black magic would do this too, but white magic definitely does this and is, 
I'm not sure what it what what it does, but Ra said that he can put on a garment or do a gesture, which is what they did. They, Don, Carl, and Jim, to summon this magical personality. And so Don wanted to know if they had to, if it was, you know, advisable to maintain it or not, or give it away, because you summon it and then you unsummon it, I guess. And is that good? Is that uh, fine, so Ra says, uh, if you think you can sustain, you know, if, if you're fine, if you have no doubts, then yeah, sure, keep your magical personality with you uh, through all the working, but if you have any doubts, then probably not. Why? There may be a chink in the armor there, and you're not sure. So, it's always about those doubts, right? Questions. What kind of questions do I have? And uh, for Carla, it was advisable that she would relinquish the magical personality before getting into the trance state because it didn't help, right? Does not have the requisite magical skill to function in that circumstance, circumstance which um, it's, a, it's actually a good lesson, I guess, for for this type of work. Let me make a, a distinction here that I believe is necessary because we're talking about ritual, magical rituals and all this stuff. I think it goes without saying that we as a society are very ignorant of spirituality, right? We, we, still, we still talk in uh, I, I don't mean this pejoratively, but in primitive ways, in terms of gods and or God or no non no God, that's another primitive way of seeing life. Uh, you're you're getting rid of um, the unknown. You're saying that everything is possibly known. So that is one of the biggest ignorance. Um, scientific endeavor in the way that we have been pursuing it. It's quite ignorant in that it ignores the most basic thing that you cannot have everything known because known implies unknown. You cannot have a coin with only one face, um, heads and no tails. You have to have both. And when it is about knowing, the more you know, the more the unknown will grow. It's like growing the coin because you want a bigger head. <laughs> Uh, bigger side of uh, head and the tail you want to ignore it well the tail will grow proportionally to the amount of uh, head that you have in the coin right <laughs> it's just the coin growing so knowledge increases the unknowing you see so in any case we are completely ignorant we don't even know much about spirituality let alone magical workings some occult practices yes they do this uh, from buddhists all the way to golden dawn and so on masonic and all the other um, occult practices and and knowledge but here's the deal for the spiritual, um, let's call it enlightenment, which I think is the only thing that really matters uh, in terms of 
spirituality as we know it, spirituality being defined as the the return of the uh, the alpha to the omega in essence the creator realizing itself right along the way there is magic along the way there is all kinds of explorations and uh, adventures that we can go into but uh, why, why is spiritual spirituality uh, for me summarizes this because there is no higher knowledge than the knowledge of self. This is what all the mystical traditions have been telling us. So why do we get so, especially in the West, there are reasons for this and I won't get into all the details, but why do we really get so interested in wanting to move metal with our minds and uh, wanting to summon different entities so we can become empowered and change things at will and so on all of this is magic i'm not deterring anybody from going into this and i'll talk about this in a moment but um that is that that's just simply something that we're interested in somehow because we have been repressed as a society we don't know anything about spirituality so the moment we know we think we think in terms of powers magical powers um and again, I have no case against this, but to show that that is just a distraction, a distraction into the path of knowing yourself. Once you know yourself, if you want to pursue this, then you are at least informed from your own being, which is uh, acting from, from knowing as opposed to ignorance. And I think that's the lesson here that I, especially with the new age explosion, social media and the internet, um, people who have no idea about spirituality or that get interested in these topics, uh, and I have met a few of them who have gone into this, this, uh, this path of channeling and going through uh, astral projections and all this this exploration and uh, as Ra emphasizes so many times without protection it's a little foolish but again this is not a case against doing that because people have been foolish uh, across our whole history and yes these are sacrifices that people do you know so many people try to fly and thanks to them, we realize, well, that's not the way to fly. <laughs> they can't live, they didn't live to tell the tale, right? Um, so, again, I, far f from me to be uh, deterring people from wanting to do things is to point out, what is it that you're looking for? You know, uh, are you really trying to fly? And so all of this uh, needs to be taken with a little bit of um, respect, I guess, respect for yourself and also um, a little bit of, yeah, basic sense into what, what you're exploring with uh, attempting magical rituals and all these things because we simply don't know. We don't have a society or a culture that nourish us, nurture us into 
learning these paths. So I guess that's the lesson. Uh, it's important, it's inappropriate to move more quickly than one's feet may walk. So be your own, be your own judge there. Question six, Don changes topics and says, I would like to question about the third density experience of those just prior to the original extension of the first distortion to the sublogoi to create the split of polarity. Can you describe in general the differences between the third density experience of these mind-body-spirit complexes and the ones who have evolved upon this planet in this experience that we experience now? Ross simply says, this material has been previously covered. Please query for a specific interest. So let me see if I can remember what is this that they have talked about. <laughs> Don wants to know, um, experience prior to the original extension. So prevail, right? He wants to know more prevail. That's the topic of this video. And that is um, before there was a split of polarity. What polarity was that? the ethical polarity of service to self and service to others that came after the veil. So this is archetypical mind, service to self and polarization into the negative on across all densities and so on. Like the the new the new uh, the new toy that the creator has now <laughs> with the veil. And we have talked about this already, right? How are the conditions prevail and post-fail? So I guess Ra is saying, be more specific. Ask me something that is much more specific. So uh, again, it's, it's interesting that Ra just kept giving short answers, maybe to incentivize a little bit more uh, specificity into what they wanted to talk. I don't know. <laughs> But Don says in question seven, specifically in the experience where only the service to others polarity in third density evolve for continued evolution into the higher densities, was the veil was the veil that is drawn with respect to knowledge of previous incarnations, etc., in effect for those entities? And Ross says, no, we know this already, and I can uh, expand on it just as a refresher, because you should remember too, that prior to synthesizing this idea of the veil, of basically veiling the conscious from the unconscious, prior to this, there was, um, there was no service to, to others, really. It's just, this is just for, uh, for consistency within the language of the law of one, that we we say this, and I'm sure Ra agrees, that there is no service to others. There is just uh, evolution. <laughs> there is just uh, service, let's say. Service to the self. In fact, I think Don actually says that prior to the veil, was there only service to self because everybody knew that there was only one self and I think that's a very, very fascinating discussion because um, it, it touches into my own uh, specialization, if you will, within the raw material, which is the recognition of the self as the one self. And so the contradiction of 
Well, if I consider myself to be a separate entity, separate self, the ego, right? Isn't that also an entity, a self? No, it's not. There is only one self. Um, and that contradiction of thought that I am this separate being is what creates all the friction in trying to live from your true self. So in any case, there is no service to others prior to the veil. That's, um, uh, it's a little semantical uh, insinuation what I'm doing here, but just something to keep in mind for us to understand better how were the conditions before the veil. Um, and no, there was no veil at that time, obviously. For those entities, and I guess that's why Ra says uh, very direct no. So let's go to the next question. Question 8, Don says, was the reincarnational process like the one that we experience here in which the third density body is entered and exited for numerous times during the cycle? And Ra says, this is correct. Uh, yeah, I'll make just small pauses here to keep commenting. Uh, yes, all uh, all experiences in densities in space-time require a an incarnation. Even in sixth density, there are bodies. Why? Because space-time is only experienced in a body. You cannot experience space without a body. That makes total sense. We don't need to get all esoteric on the densities of consciousness and the different types of bodies and chakras and so on. It is obvious. You cannot experience space if you, if you don't have a body. <laughs> uh, and remember, the whole creation, according to the Law of One's model, the whole creation is based on two sides. There is space-time and then there is time-space. In time-space, you don't need a body per se. The body is the one body that exists, <laughs> the one self. Uh, in space-time, you do. So, um, although there are mind-body spirits in time-space, but let's not get into that. The point is that, yes, uh, you require a body. So, even prior to the veil, the veil did not create a incarnational process. Um, it changed the way we incarnated for sure, but it didn't uh, add in the incarnational process. So that's just an inherent quality of the creation. As long as there is a creation to be experienced. Okay, so yes, that is correct. Don says, is it possible to give a time of incarnation with respect to our years and would you do so if it is? Ra says, in, uh, briefly really, the optimal incarnative, incarnative, is it incarnative? Yes. Incarnative period is somewhere close to a measure you call a millennium. This is, as you may say, a constant, regardless of other factors of the third density experience. So it seems that third density is that millennium, that thousand year, is what Ra gave us as the lifespan, which is 900 years. This was in the early 20 sessions. Uh, that probably didn't make sense. In the 20s, 
21, 22, maybe session 20, around there, Ra talked about the lifespan of humans at the beginning of their density and the reason why that lifespan was cut down tremendously because of the inability of uh, applying the law of responsibility, in essence, applying the lessons that were learned. And so the lifespan was reduced for improvement of use of catalyst. Otherwise, it would be too much. So, yeah, in a way, some people call it like, oh, you know, we, uh, we failed, you know, from our 900 year and whatnot. Who cares? <laughs> uh, why do we need to live 900 years when we can live uh, 90, 80 years or less? Why is that important? This is the type of mentality that wants to have a fast and efficient evolution. Why? Is the creator in a rush to know itself? No. I mean, it's, it doesn't matter if it takes millions or billions or uh, invent how many years you want. Infinity does not give a damn. So um, these things are sometimes missed, I feel, in the interpretation that I hear of this. Because we're, we're acting it from the human heart, and I understand it. You know, oh my God, we wasted so much time. And I, I remember feeling like this before. Um, I remember feeling like, oh my God, we, we were so messy. But I always laughed. <laughs> I think it's funny. I mean, once you realize that it, everything is fine, you know, that this is just simply a uh, an experience. It's a dream. And it shouldn't be taken so serious. Um, which is not to say that you should be... I mean, you shouldn't be, you should be whatever you want to be. See, I'm tempted to say, oh, you shouldn't be reckless with life. But if that's what you're called to be and do, then by all means, who am I to say don't? <laughs> um, but the ultimate um, realization is to see that, yeah, um, nothing really matters in the sense of not, um, not in the sense of, Oh, nothing matters, so whatever. That's just, that's a, um, a human attitude, an adult attitude, I should say. But nothing really matters as, as a child, you know. To the child, nothing really matters, you know. It's only when the adult says, blah, 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 you know. And so the kid says, oh, okay. Um, it seems people get upset by this, so I shouldn't do it. Anyhow. That's uh, the optimal incarnative period, apparently, for all densities. Not all densities, I'm sorry, for all third density experiences. So whether you go to another planet or stay in this one or another one, that any third density planet would have a 900-year um, lifespan and a 75,000-year cycle. So, see... God doesn't care about time, but at the same time, it likes structure. <laughs> All right, um, let's uh, let's move on. Don in question ten says, then prior to the first extension of the first distortion, the veil or loss of awareness did not occur. Wait, did I read that right? Don is saying, then prior, then prior to the first extension of the first distortion, the veil or loss of awareness 
did not occur. The veil or loss of awareness did not occur. Okay. Then from this, I will make the assumption that this veil or loss of remembering consciously that which occurred before the incarnation was the primary tool for extending the first distortion. Is this correct? And Ra says, your correctness is limited. This was the first tool. Okay, so why is his correctness limited? Uh, from this, I will make the assumption that this veil or loss of remember consciously that which occurred before the incarnation was the primary tool for extending the first distortion. Uh, no, extending the first distortion is the tool, right? That is the first tool that Ra is referring to. I think is because Don is saying, from this I will make the assumption that this veil or loss of remembering consciously or being aware of your unconscious, uh, that which occurred before the incarnation was the primary tool for extending. No, 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 no. This is not a chicken and egg um, sort of paradox. Forgetting what happened on the prior incarnation was part of the extension of the first distortion, or basically drawing the veil was what caused us to forget what happened in the prior incarnation. And this was an experiment, and the experiment was fruitful, so great. But the experiment, it was initiated by the first distortion. I guess it was, um, it was known that we would forget, right? But it's not that the tool for extending the first distortion, the primary tool for the extended, no, the primary tool was to extend the first distortion, as I understand it. Okay. Question 11, Don says, then from that statement, I assume that the Logos contemplating a mechanism to become what it was not, first devised the tool of separating the unconscious from the conscious during what we call physical incarnation to achieve its objective. Is this correct? It seems so. Ra says, yes. Don follows up and says, then from that, from that statement, I also assume that many other tools were conceived and used after the first tool of the so-called veil. Is this correct? And Ra says, there have been refinements. Uh, let's continue. Question 13, Don says, the archetypical mind of the Logos prior to this experiment in extension of the first distortion then was what I would consider to be less complex than it is now, possibly containing fewer archetype, archetypes. Is this correct? Ra says, we must ask your patience. We perceive a sudden flare of the distortion known as pain in this instrument's left arm and manual appendage. Please do not touch this instrument. We shall examine the mind complex and attempt to reposition the limb so that the working may continue. Then please repeat the query. There is a two minute pause, which I won't enact. And Ra says, I am Ra, you may proceed. Let's read. Don says, thank you. Prior to the experiment to extend the first distortion, how many archetypes were there for the creation of the logos of that time? And Ra says, there were nine. So before moving faster than I have been already, let me go back to um, the discussion of the tools that 
came out because this I don't know if we're going to see um, I may get to that point I I'm not sure well we'll see uh, but at least leave this as a foundation for the next part of this session as I, I think I'll cover it then this is not something we have much information about and I don't think we we can benefit much from it anyways but I I've had my own visualizations of of this and how it, it happens uh, and it goes like this we're talking about that period between implementing the veil right that transition of implementation of the veil did it happen perfectly just like as we know it and no Roger said that there have been refinements and that there were nine but we'll get to the nine for um, after this so there is a prevail condition which we have explored already then there is the implementation of the veil and then there is the post veil during the implementation of the veil that transition it seems like there were a lot of experiments and these experiments are what happens if we do this to the mind to the body and to the spirit and again i would love to talk more about that but that will come probably in the next part so i will just say that remember there is a prevail a uh, veiling process and then there is the post veil right there are three parts that i see here and there is something to to get out of that i guess i don't know why i'm i'm so called to to talk about the implementation of the veil i think it's just interesting again nothing fruitful i believe but just interesting so i want to talk about it when the time comes and so okay so ra is now being questioned about the archetypes the reason why i wanted to also emphasize that at, at this point is because now we're going to talk about the archetypical mind and forget about the veiling process for a little bit so all right archetypical mind and uh, don says he wants to know how many archetypes were there before the extension of the first distortion or the veiling process so we know this already these were nine um we have discussed this in my my previous parts and so don is going to ask nine archetypes i will guess that those nine were three of mind three of body and three of spirit is this correct ra says this is correct <laughs> uh, so the rest of the questions that I'm going to read I think have to do with this and there are very short answers again um, in this in, in this question process so I guess I'll just I'll just move up until the moment where they talk again about the archetypical mind we'll see but yes there are nine and I will give a little bit of a, a summary again on this based on what I know so next question 
Question 16, Don says, I am going to guess that in the system of the tarot, those archetypes would roughly correspond to the mind, the magician, the emperor, and the chariot. Is this correct? This is asking about the mind, and that is incorrect, according to Ra. And Don follows up and says, could you tell me what they correspond to? And Ra says, the body, the mind, and the spirit each contain and function under the aegis of the matrix, the potentiator and the significator. The significator of the mind, body and spirit is not identical to the significator of the mind, body and spirit complexes. So there is a difference there. And that's because the significator is veiled. As the significator is veiled, then the conscious mind and unconscious mind begin this dance of providing catalyst for experience to happen. And this, this process, this cycle, creates what is called transformation and change, the great way, right? Great way. So these, these are the archetypes that came out. Um, so Don had it wrong before when he said that there was the magician, the emperor and the chariot. I gotta be honest, I don't remember which of which is which. I know the magician is the matrix of the mind. The emperor, I believe, is, is experience, which is not really uh, one of the archetypes before the veil. And the chariot, is the chariot the great way? I think so. I forget, I, I am bad at memorizing the, these names, but I do know what they represent, uh, what the other ones, I mean, I know Matrix, Potentiator, and so on, all these things, but I just don't know the names. And um, It's also confusing because that's the tarot that they were using. I think there are other tarots that just draw other things and they put not other names and people who study it don't like the Emperor, so they call it something else. and it becomes even more confusing for for the layman <laughs> like me. Um, it's it's really for for the tarot nerds, and I am not one of them. So yes, that's it. So uh, actually, the mind, body, and spirit they have uh, matrix, potentiator, and significator. These are the ones that were present before the veil. And Ra is emphasizing again the significator of the mind, body, and spirit is not the same as the significator of mind, body, and spirit complexes. Remember, from now on, every time you hear complex, uh, following spirit, body, mind, is because it is post-veil. So there is a veil. If it's complex, it is a veil, or it is veiled. If it's not complex, then it is not veiled. Why? Because we're going to talk about entities prior to the veil and experience prior to the veil and then um, experience post veil. So, yes, keep that in mind. And I don't think I have anything else to say here. That's it. Just a reminder. Matrix, potentiator and significator were the archetypes for the mind, body, spirit, not complex mind, body, spirit which refers to prior to the veil. And that's it.
Question 18, Don says, I now understand what you meant in the previous session by saying to extend free will, the significator must become a complex. It seems that the significator has become the complex that is the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh of the mind, the tenth on of the body and the seventeenth of the spirit. Is this correct? This seems very mixed up and muddy. And Ross says, yes, this isn't correct. Uh, so Don says, could you tell me what you mean by the significator must become a complex? Process to be complex is to consist of more than one characteristic element or concept. And yeah, that is, um, <laughs> the, these are Ra's short answers. I don't know why. I mean, the questions are not too obvious. So it's interesting that Ra gave very short answers here. But yeah, the significator must become a complex Well, I don't know why Ra gave this short answers, but what we have is that the, to be complex is to consist of more than one characteristic element or concept. Um, so I suppose the, um, right, the significator is representing here um, the sort of totality of the cycle, right? As far as I understand that the significator is almost like the changing persona. Um, it's almost like what we identify as with ourselves, right? Let me put it this way. The significator is the, the projection of the self manifested which is constantly changing and is in seeking of evolution, evolution of mind, body, and spirit. So this significator is what the matrix potentiator, catalyst experience, transformation, and gradeway are all working together to kind of uh, change it's all working, so the significator changes. It's it's almost like the most um, relatable persona within the archetypical mind, the way I understand it. And that's why the significator was crucial, of course, before the veil. And the matrix and potentiator were simply the elements that it needed to, to change. So matrix and potentiator worked together, no veil, and that was a very slow process. So we decided to forget, forget who we were. And so the significator became complex because it became uh, ever more um, segmented into more archetypes, I guess. But I'm not sure why Ra says that to be complex is to consist of more than one char characteristic element or concept so maybe it's the other archetypes that came into into being. I don't know. We have time for one more question, and that's going to be question 20, which finally we have something long. And I didn't think I would get to this, but here we are. Question 20, 
Don says, I would like to try and understand the archetypes of the mind of this Logos prior to the extension of the first distortion. In order to better understand that which we experience now, I believe that this is a logical approach. Okay. We have, as you have stated, the matrix, potentiator, and the significator. I understand the matrix as being that which is the conscious, what we call the conscious mind. But since it is also that from which the mind is made, I am at a loss to fully understand these three terms, especially with respect to the time before there was a division between conscious and unconscious. I think it is important to get a good understanding of these three things. Could you expand even more upon the matrix of the mind, the potentiator and the significator, how they differ and what their relationships are, please? Okay, so we're talking about mind, but I think Ra is going to talk about everything here. So buckle up. Ra says, the matrix of mind is that from which all comes. It is unmoving, yet it is the activator in potentiation of all mind activity. The potentiator of the mind is that great resource which may be seen as the sea into which the consciousness dips ever deeper and more thoroughly in order to create, ideate and become more self-conscious. So here we're talking about the process of or the interaction between um, mind uh, conscious mind and unconscious mind that is the that is what drives our lives each and every one of us have a conscious mind which is interpreting things as it knows it right each mind is a filter of reality and so this mind is filtering things through my own unconscious and I don't know why I'm doing it. So the unconscious, in order to allow the conscious mind to know itself better, will provide this catalyst. Okay. And prior to the veil, there was no need to ponder on catalyst. Catalyst was obvious. Catalyst existed. Experience existed. But it was obvious. There was the view of the connectedness before the veil. Now it is not. And so we don't know why we behave the way we do. We don't know why we do things the way we do. And so this is an invitation to know yourself deeper. And that's why Ra says the potentiator of the mind is that great resource, which may be seen as the sea into which the conscious mind, they didn't say conscious mind, but they say consciousness. And I know they're referring to not simply awareness as it is in my model, uh, but consciousness. They called the matrix the the conscious mind and so the conscious mind dips even deeper or ever deeper and more thoroughly in order to create ideate and become more self-conscious so the conscious mind deeps uh, uh, dips deep <laughs> into um, into the unconscious to know more about itself to become more self-conscious and to create an ideate to um, this is what it's called manifesting yourself. You see, knowing yourself is manifesting yourself as opposed to just repeating what you have been told in society, cultures, and so on. Uh, so know yourself, be yourself, be spontaneous, be you. All of that um, inspirational advice comes from there. 
So you can see already this interplay between matrix of mine and potentiator. Um, okay, so that is the matrix and potentiator. And again, I want to emphasize that this is needed prior to the veil as well, because you need information that you are becoming aware of. Yeah, but your your conscious mind is already is not veiled, so it looks at everything and says, "Oh, I see what's happening." You know, I see the connectedness of everything that is happening. So no, we put the veil and change everything. But we're not talking about post veil. We're talking about pre veil. It's still helpful, like Don said. By the way, can I send some love to Don for asking these questions? Isn't it obvious that the man was? Um, he was like so cut out for this work. He certainly was like, this was, this was him. We're talking about being yourself. This was done. You know, the questions were so, so well. It's almost like conversation was uh, scripted <laughs> before incarnation, right? In any case, let's move on to what Ra has to say. So love to Don, everybody. Ra says, the significator of each mind, body, and spirit may be seen as a simple and unified concept. Uh -huh. The matrix of the body may be seen to be a reflection in opposites of the mind. That is unrestricted motion. The potentiator of the body then is that which, being informed, regulates activity. Uh, so, yeah, it's different here. This is, this is awesome. We talked about this in the last session. So again, the significator of each mind, body, and spirit may be seen as a simple and unified concept. That is the persona that is changing. According to my view, it is that self that you you see yourself and you say, oh, this is me. But you see, when you say this is me and you identify with yourself, this is the giveaway of non-duality. <laughs> uh, when you say this today, and you say in a year from now, you know you refer to a different person. However, it's still you. So you haven't changed. The you, the real you hasn't changed. However, what you project, how you identify changes. Okay, so I, I, I will restrain myself <laughs> to not talk about non-duality here, but you can see a glimpse into identity and self. So, in any case, that is the significator for me, again. I don't know what others think. I don't know how people interpret significator, but that's how I see it, is that unified concept that is being changed all the time. And you, you can recognize as this. Oh, this is the significator of my mind. It's how I perceive myself right now, which will change because Catalyst continues to come and continues to change you. Um, and you can see why some people get stagnant, stagnant into who they are. They continue to see themselves the same way they were 20 years before and um, they don't see a change. And then, well, no, let me not get into that. <laughs> but all right, the matrix of the body may be seen to be a reflection in opposites of the mind. Why? Because the conscious, the matrix of the mind is the conscious mind. And so it is receiving information from the unconscious. Here is the opposite. Uh, it is the, uh, the potentiator, which is, um, is being informed by 
the matrix of the body. So the matrix is the one that is moving, right? The matrix of the body, okay. It is unrestricted motion. So here, here's the deal. Your conscious mind is that which you are aware of at this moment. That is your conscious mind. Your unconscious mind is informing your conscious mind. Okay, matrix, conscious mind. Um, Oliver, barking. <laughs> um, then there is the unconscious informing the conscious mind. And you you see the interplay. That's why Ross says that the matrix is, the matrix of the mind is kind of still, what do they say before? It's unmoving or unmoved. Um, all my, unmoving, right? It's not moved. It's just simply the, the screen in which we see things. And um, potentiator is the one providing that, which is the interpretation. Now in the body is the opposite because the matrix is actually moving a lot. It's our body, you see? Whereas your mind is what you're being conscious, the body is what's being itself. You don't do anything and it's just constantly moving. It's in homeostasis. And that's why there is the, um, the justice card, I think, is the matrix of the body, which is this balanced um, state, you know, and it maintains the balance. So that is the, the matrix of the body. Whereas the potentiator is um, the one that is being informed by the constant moving of um, of the body, of the matrix of the body, right? So the potentiator of the body is that which being informed regulates activity, right? So that makes sense, it's kind of opposite. That's a cool little thing to know in the archetypical minds, well, general three cycles. Ross says, <laughs> in the last part, the matrix of the spirit is difficult to characterize since the nature of the spirit is less motile or in movement or, yeah, no, no mobility. The energies and movements of the spirit are by far the most profound yet having more close association with time-space, do not have the characteristic of dynamic motion. Thusly, one may see the matrix as the deepest darkness and the potentiator of spirit as the most sudden awakening, illuminating and generative influence. This is the description of the archetypes one through nine before the onset of influence of the co-creator or sub-logos realization of free will. So this co-creator or sub-logos realization of free will is us. This is before that. Um, matrix, potentiator and significator. So the matrix of the spirit is, it's actually one of my favorites because everything is perceived by the mind. Please bear that in mind. Sorry, I had to say it. <laughs> so everything being perceived by the mind, your body is perceived by the mind the activity of the spirit is perceived by the mind. The mind is the great actor here and the, the one acted upon as well. So the matrix of the spirit is in essence, uh, at least within the mind, body, spirit complex. And it seems like it was for the mind, body, spirit 
prior to the veil, where, um, yeah, the matrix of, of the spirit is that which we are aware of, right? We are in total darkness of what the spirit is, right? It's still a, an enigma, a mystery. So that's why it is dark. The, they call it the primordial darkness. Right? Prime, primeval darkness is what they call it, not primordial, primeval darkness. And it makes sense. Now, that is the matrix of the spirit. It's darkness. We don't know anything. However, there are flashes, which is the potentiator. And we go back again. In, in the matrix and potentiator of the spirit, we go back into the same configuration of the mind in terms of the matrix is uh, much less motile or moving than the mind because the mind at least has the conscious awareness of what is happening whereas the matrix of the spirit is not so it it depends on constant uh this constant flashing which is the potentiator of the spirit so flashes of light to see to be able to perceive the spirit and and i love that because this goes directly into what awakening is they use the same words they say one may see the matrix as the deepest darkness and the potentiator of spirit as the most sudden awakening, illuminating and generative influence. So it's the most sudden awakening, illuminating and generative influence. So why do I love this so much? Because this is what spiritual seekers are looking for. Lightning. See this potentiator, just like he who wants to know itself as the mind psychotherapy will likely go into the unconscious any psychologist knows this you want to dive deep into that unconscious so you can get people to uh, relive their traumas and heal and so on so those on the spiritual path want the potentiator as well i mean everything is is working together even the body here but in terms of the spirit is this mystical experience as well, this sudden awakening, Satori, as we call it in Zen, is part of this, is the illumination of the spirit by these moments of saying, oh, I get it, you know? Um, and it's not like I get it totally, because with a flash of light, we don't, we don't see the whole environment. We don't see the whole matrix of the spirit. We just see a little bit, but enough to ignite that faith and determination to continue the spiritual path. So that's it. That's all I got. Uh, we covered half of the session and still uh, there is a lot more. So I don't think I'm going to finish this in two parts, but uh, definitely seems like three parts. We'll, we'll see. I'll do a recap of this uh, question. Very short recap in the next part, because I think this is the most valuable thing that we got out of this session, I think. So going back to the nine archetypes prior to the veil, it's really interesting. Conclusions. Well, like I said, I think this last question had the, the most interesting and useful, useful information. And it's about that knowing of the self, once again. It's about exploring that unconscious mind or that potentiator and 
getting in contact with your your beingness the nature of yourself which is who you are it's interesting that when when you when you embark in this meditation process right it doesn't matter what type of meditation you do you begin to see more results into your life and you you become even more interested in in this path because meditation is not only the way in which we can listen to the unconscious right but also through which we we get these flashes sometimes these potentiations of the spirit so i guess my my conclusion and my advice here is to like the confederation always says go into meditation do not neglect meditation uh, some people may not feel like they're doing they're making progress in meditation and to that i say stop judging yourself <laughs> and if you are a knower of the know or you are the knower of the knower you realize that these judgments are just thoughts they're not really you and they can be something real so meditation regardless of how you do it or what happens during meditation uh, it's um it's a relaxing of the mind it's a relaxation of the mind right that that's what it's supposed to be the ultimate meditation which is what i teach in my own direct path is the recognition that you are the stillness that you're looking for so when you abide in yourself when you abide in stillness then this is the ultimate meditation there is no highest meditation there is no meditation i say this i normally say well you know subject to interpretation and so on but this is not subject to interpretation because I am talking about an axiom, something that is corroborated easily on everybody and anybody. Easily as saying infinity cannot be counted. You cannot count to infinity. That's a that's a fact. We don't nobody can ever say otherwise. That's just a fact. And in the same way, I can say that the highest meditation is to abide in the self, because the self is that stillness now of course if you're looking in meditation to do other types of mental activities then no you don't you can't look for stillness although stillness will help you there right but you cannot say that you're looking for stillness in activity <laughs> that makes no sense i am trying to calm down and i'm running so no the ultimate meditation uh, is that which remains in the stillness of the self you don't achieve this you are this you just become aware of it more and more over time and as you become aware of yourself then this stillness is just a natural thing and that's why you see a very peaceful attitude in people who meditate you see a detachment on people who meditate you know everything that we speak about you know in the spiritual path is part of bringing about the meditative state into your life and yeah that's it that's all i got today 
I have nothing else to say but gratefulness for uh, all the people that have been listening. Um, I've been seeing a gradual increase in interest in the Law of One, at least in my interpretation for the past couple of months, uh, whether it be here on YouTube or Spotify, iTunes, podcasts, platforms. Um, shout out to all of you for being interested in this, uh, especially in my own uh, rants and my the way I, I, I interpret this beautiful material. Uh, just a reminder, this is just my interpretation <laughs> and the way I live it. And I just wish I could spread it more and that's why I do it. So thank you for that. Uh, if you haven't been following my work, if you like what I do and you're interested in the way I see life and how I got to this, Instagram is a place where you will see in essence, my my resume <laughs> for what I'm doing and how I'm helping people directly through this path. And of course, how I integrated everything into just one simple method, which is knowing yourself. This is not something that I created. <laughs> this is something that I came to realize over time that it was the essence of all mystical teachings, including Ra. And um, out of the complexities that are explained here in the law of one the raw material and everything else that we find in the new age explosion of information i i took a step back into the simplicity of things and that's where i'm at i love to integrate everything that people know because the simplicity of it doesn't mean that is uh, limited actually the simplicity of yourself is what makes it what makes everything possible so i should be able to fit everything and i do Everything that we know about reality is fit in this model. Um, and I love it. That's why I love it. Because out of all the complexities, the answer is the most simple thing. And if we go through this uh, straight and narrow path, as Ross says, we, we get it. We get life. I got it. So <laughs> what makes you think you can't? <laughs> I was... Um, uh, I was so not the spiritual guy in my whole life <laughs> for the majority of my adulthood. So, yes, it's, um, it's, it's there. It's just there waiting to be realized. Anyhow, Instagram, go check out the description. If you want to take a look at my course in the direct path, which is online, go check it out in the description as well. Even here in the podcast, if you're listening to, you can go check it out. It's always in the description. Thank you. I'll see you in part two of session 79.